Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. church. If you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Even as you're turning there, let me just say again to you what a privilege it is to open God's Word with you, uh, to study God's Word together, to come again to the words of Jesus. Red letters in my Bible. How about yours? What a privilege it is to be here at the Lancaster campus looking all of you in the eye. Oh, how I wish I could be looking all of you in the eye at the Myerstown campus as well. Love you. It's hard to believe now that we're coming to the end. A full summer. An entire series. The Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus Christ calling us to be different. Teaching, instructing, guiding, calling establishing in a manifesto sort of way what his spiritual kingdom is going to be like, what indeed it is like. As with any sermon, an effective preacher desires now for the conclusion, at the conclusion, for a clarity to be brought. The entire point of the message now culminates here, the end. The entire sermon it leads to this. It's time, it's time, it's time for the, it's time to call the listener to respond. It's time to evaluate now and act on the spiritual convictions that God has brought to the surface of our hearts. Here now, the communicator, the preacher, what does he do? He calls and proposes a clear application and provides a practical pathway forward so that those whose hearts have been reached and pricked now can know what to do with all it is that they've culminated inside of their hearts and minds. Friends, it's exactly what Jesus does. The greatest preacher who ever preached, the greatest communicator who ever walked this earth. What does he do? He's calling us now. He's calling the original listener and he's calling us as well through the power of his spirit to make a choice to leave this room today confident in what it is God desires for us to do and who it is he's called us to be. Our foot's firmly established, our feet firmly established upon the rock and the security of our salvation. He wants you to know that you're saved today. 
There's certain sermons where all that is required is that you stand in this pocket and deliver what it is Jesus says. No fanfare, no running about, no slick illustrations. Jesus provides them all. He longs for you to be grounded in his truth. He desires that every step we take here forward would be along the narrow and solid pathway that he's invited us on. Here, he desires for you to have established firm footing on your feet that you may not have to wander again. Today, we're on this. Jesus is calling us to a different foundation. You've been on loose foundation before. You've walked in the sand. You know the difference. You know the text. You've been around church world any length of time. You know the text. Build your house on a rock. If you haven't been to church ever even, you may have heard of this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. What I love about Jesus, the greatest communicator who ever communicated, indeed, what does he do? He uses illustrations that you and I can completely understand. Come on, everybody in this room know the significance of a foundation? Say yes. When I was in high school and even through college, I worked for a master craftsman. I worked for a master mason. My job was to mix the mud, right? My job was to lift the block. My job was to have everything in place that the master mason needed uh, to be sure that the foundations were laid properly, uh, to make sure that the forms were square as they needed to be, so that when he began constructing, everything was in its place. Having been one um, who worked in this particular trade, I have this unique affection uh, for those who bear the calluses on their hand of such work. My family does think I'm rather odd, even as I drive around or as I'm going about, and I notice like good, solid foundation work, right? Or like the despair that comes over my face when you see like a wavy wall, like my word, you pay for that? You don't want to ride with me through Altoona, by the way. Like old man syndrome. Like, yeah, I was on that job. Oh, that was a tricky foundation right there. Hey, son, hey, son, if you go back behind that house, that patio in the back, like, yeah, daddy, daddy laid that one too. I know a little bit about foundations. I know a little bit about concrete work. I know a little bit about footers. And this is the thing about Altoona. You see, in Altoona, uh, not, it's not the same way around all of the world, but we're in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains, which means the soil is pretty rocky. You don't have to dig far down to find yourself a rock. But every once in a while, we'd be on a job where the, the thing that was mixed in with rock in Altoona is a whole lot of clay. And clay, like sand, has to be removed out of the way. You got to dig, you got to dig, you got to dig, you got to clear until you can actually lay, you can actually lay a footer upon which you will build a house on the shore foundation upon a rock. You see, laying a foundation is not a willy-nilly thing. The homeowner, much less 
The code officer does not take your word for it. I mean, there's, as you're laying the footer for a foundation, you actually got to submit a core sample so we can be sure that the very integrity of that which is supposed to be present, that the consistency of the mortar and the concrete actually is as it ought to be. There's an inspection that has to take place. Why? Because everyone knows that building on a faulty foundation, everyone knows that a foundation that isn't sure whether you're building a house, a skyscraper, or a life, if your foundation isn't sure, you will not stand. Friends, when's the last time you examined your spiritual foundation? When's the last time you took personal inventory of where you are in your faith? For some of you, I know it was last week, some of you have the emails, the texts, the calls that I've received even since last week saying, this is, this is what my heart needs. I've been casually walking through, I've been casually going by, and the Lord is reaching me, and the Lord is talking to me. Friends, here's what I know for sure. Inspections can be incredibly scary. To look into your own heart is something that you've gotten pretty good at pushing to the side and rationalizing away. Like you said a prayer and you did a thing, and so now we can move on, okay? Inspections are scary. A lot is on the line, time, money, relationships, partnerships, particularly in the, in the building trade, but what about in the spiritual life? I remember, being, I remember being on a significant job where the inspection did not go well and the entire, the entire footer had to be pulled up and we had to start over. That, let us just say, boss was not happy. Not a fun experience, but oh my word, so incredibly necessary for how much worse would it have been if it went undetected. And all that came after us on that particular job site built and worked, and labored, and the project was complete, only to find out that in the very end, it was never secure in the first place. Friends, how's your foundation? Is it sure? Are you sure? This is where we're at, friends. It's time to do the brave work. It's time to do the difficult work. Yes, incredibly rewarding work for sure, but today this may hurt a little. Oh, but the reward. The inspection of our own spiritual foundation, what will be the result? Confidence, 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 confidence that we are standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Come on, amen? And so here we go. Let's start with the end in mind. Jesus ends the sermon this way. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. But you know what? It did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, does not do them, they will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall. Firm foundation. This is the goal. Solid foundation. This is the goal, inspecting of it all and finding yourself proven in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the goal. And so how do we get there? How do we know? How do we go about this particular inspection? Come on now, look with me. Verse 15 in the text, Jesus says this. Goal, solid rock. Goal, firm foundation. Goal, inspective work. Let's do it. How? Verse 15. Beware now. If you want to have a firm foundation, we'll inspect your foundation. The first thing we must be doing is be aware of false prophets who come come in to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, listen, they're, they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears fruit. But the diseased fruit tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. You see why the foundation is so important? Wolf, sheep's clothing. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their, by their fruit, by their fruit. If we want to examine our foundations today, which Jesus is calling us to do, the first thing we must do, the first thing we have to do is evaluate the integrity of the truth we trust. Evaluate the integrity of the truth you trust. What is it that you trust in? What is it that you believe in? The very basis of our salvific foundation is grounded in the purity, the purity, the integrity of the gospel that we trust. Jesus made it abundantly clear last week that there are two ways. There's a wide way and there's a narrow way. There's an easy way and a hard way. There's a one that leads to Life, one that leads to destruction. One that takes no decision at all and one that requires we lay everything down. Friends, what I want to catch today is this. Jesus' words to us is this. Not only is the gospel the gateway, not only is Jesus himself the gateway, but the gospel in Jesus himself is the way. He is the very power. He's not only the way by which we enter upon this path, he is the very power by which we walk the path day by day by day by day. What this means is not only are you saved by the power of the gospel, But you need to constantly be renewed and deepened in your understanding of the gospel every single day. You do not receive the gospel and pass by it and move on from it. We must be teaching and preaching and learning and discovering all the more. Oh, friend, if you think you've gotten to the depth of the gospel truth, God has so much more for you. 
There's a simplicity of understanding of the gospel that leads to salvation. But there's a depth and a richness of the gospel of which you will never exhaust. And so Jesus' point here is what? Be careful of the teaching you receive. Measure the truth that you're trusting in. You see, here Jesus is cautioning us because now more than ever, Certainly then, how applicable is this with religious leaders and all those who are vying for people's hearts, but how, how much now, how many voices are vying for your attention? Now, more than ever, our hearts are being bombarded with information. We've got more teachers, we've got more preachers, we've got more prophets seeking to direct us than ever before, I would propose. All you need is an opinion, an ego, and a keyboard, and you can start yourself a following. Find a cause, whether it's real or not, and create a blog post, and off you go. And oh, because of the sinfulness of our own flesh, we're so drawn to the sustenance the tantalizing content, the content that comes from the margins. And so Jesus says here, beware. Beware. Beware of false prophets. You want to examine your foundation. What's the goal? House on the rock. The first thing you need to do is be sure that the truth that you received and the teaching that you're getting actually is helping you be grounded and founded upon said rock. You see, there will be many voices directing us to the wide way. That's Jesus' point. There'll be many voices, many voices. Remember? Remember last week? There will be many voices inviting you to the wide way, inviting you to build your house upon the sand. Just sign here. The problem is, we know such false teaching and false teachers are among the church. The problem is, as Jesus says, they aren't initially obvious. They're not immediately obvious. They will initially look good. They will initially sound good. They will initially do good. But sooner or later, they will be revealed for who they are, ravenous wolves. Jesus is moving beyond dogs and pigs, and now he's talking about the aggressor, the devious. Those who prey upon the church for their own personal gain. Jesus says they dress in sheep's clothing. They look like you. They smell like you. They bah like us, like you. But eventually, a wolf will do wolfy things. Eventually, a wolf will do wolfy things. Eventually, those long teeth will show. Eventually, the snarl and the growl will be heard. That's Jesus' point. Eventually, 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 a wolf will expose themselves for who they are, but what, will the, what damage will be done if the listener is not constantly examining the truth that they are receiving? If 
They're incapable of not being a wolf. If they are a wolf, look at the text. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Love this. Jesus' illustration is just so clear. You produce what you are. You produce who you are. You replicate who you are. What you say is who you are. What you do is who you are. Lest Jesus redeem it. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. So come on. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You see, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Just as plants can't produce after its kind, grapes aren't coming from thistles, thus snuggles aren't coming from wolves. Just as healthy plants produce healthy fruit, just as unbelieving false teaching will produce what? Will produce bad fruit ultimately. But the question is, what is this fruit? Jesus says, guard your heart from poor teaching. Focus your eyes on the bad fruit. Look, 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 examine, watch, wonder, dig. You see, the testing of the integrity of our own foundation is found in the purity of the teaching that we're grounded in. And he's saying, use caution, use caution, use caution, and evaluate the teaching you received as well as the teacher who delivers it. It's hard. Certainly the prophet, certainly the preacher, certainly the teacher is in view here. Anyone who stands in this place comes under the full scrutiny of this text. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James chapter 3, verse 1. Dare I say any communicator who feels like he passes the test of James chapter 3, verse 1 probably is not worthy of passing the test of James chapter 3, verse 1. But even in saying that, it's precarious, isn't it? How does one demonstrate humility without being prideful? How do you do that? Certainly the teacher, the communicator, the preacher, the prophet, if you will, is in view here, but this sort of puts all of us in a precarious position, to be honest with you. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Every one of us are, 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 are commanded by God to instruct. All of us in this room are called to be influencers. All of us in this room are called to handle the word of God. All of us in this room are called to pass on the word of God. At some level, all of us are teachers. At some level, all of us are influencers. At some level, all of us bear under the scrutiny of this text.
And so here we examine and here we identify a false teacher and now let us add this, a false believer. What is it? What is it that we're looking for? We're examining not only what they believe, but what they say and teach. And now this, making sure that they actually practice what it is they preach. Fruit. He's saying, look at the, listen and watch, listen and watch, hear what they say and watch what they do. When those two things don't match, there's something not right. Friends, this takes proximity in a world where everybody wants your attention, in a world where you can choose whatever, listen, whatever teacher or preacher or, or, who, or, or influencer that you want to listen to, in order to actually do what Jesus is saying here, this actually takes proximity. And so I think there's a point of application here, and that is that you would weight the influence of the voices by way of proximity. Weight the voices, weight if you will, measure the voices that are closest to you heavier than those who are seeking to influence you from afar. Kids, that's your parents. Teenagers, that's your parents. Weigh their voice above all the other voices. We should always wait the voices close to us above the voices from afar. And here's the thing. One of the deficiencies of the contemporary church today, which is weakening the foundations of many, is the blind followership of celebrity teachers. It's the unaccountable way that people can, can spew whatever it is they want to spew, wherever they want to spew it, on whatever webpage will receive it. And it's this blind followership of the celebrity which is enabling us so often to value charisma over character. In this way, because we're not close by, we allow what is our perceived effectiveness, what we perceive to be fruit by way of our eyes in ministry, we allow that to excuse bad and poor behavior and Jesus is addressing it. In the content of this particular passage, the context of this passage, one thing is abundantly sure. One thing is perfectly clear. Fruit is not being measured by the size of the crowd under the, the one who is teaching. Truth is not measured by the number of likes or followership one has. Truth is not measured by how many times your post gets shared. Truth is not measured by how many services we fill. It's not the quantity. Jesus comes back to this over. Examine your foundation. It's not the quantity. It's not the acceptance. It's not that at all. For wide is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way. One's going to be very well populated. Don't be fooled by that. What is Jesus saying? Good fruit, bad fruit. Good fruit, bad fruit. Not big fruit, small fruit. Not lots of fruit, little fruits. Good fruit, bad fruit. That's the illustration. Quality over quantity. And so here we go. Here we examine. Here we have to ask ourselves, what is the fruit? What is it that we're looking for? Because my heart is deceitfully wicked and I am constantly drawn to the... Are you? Are you fooled by the quantity sometimes? Are you enamored by the quantity sometimes? 
Are you nervous around the leader? What's the fruit? What we say needs to match what we do. That's the foundation we're inspecting. That goes for the teacher. That goes for all of us. What's the fruit? Here's a biblical theology of fruit. Here's the first thing, fruit of the Spirit. Is the fruit of the Spirit in you? Is the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in the one who's communicating? Is the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in you as a parent, in you as a boss, in you as an influencer, as you're seeking to portray and to, and to lead out and to instruct as it pertains to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is the fruit of the gospel actually, a, is, it, is, it, is it alongside our actions matching our words? The illustration is you preach on love and then you, you walk down off of the, the platform and you're unloving. And you're unkind and you're bossy. And you got to have your way. And you're pugnacious. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's the fruit Jesus is talking about here. It's character, it's character, it's character, it's character. Now this, fruit of your lips, fruit of your lips, fruit of praise. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 is fruit of the Spirit. Now this, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15, there's fruit of praise, fruit of praise. That the songs you sing on Sunday are the songs you whistle as you go out the door, the songs that you go to in the middle of your week. When you're having a rough day and you got to escape, come on, what song do you put on? Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledges his name. Jesus, I praise you. The fruit of the Spirit, fruit of our lips, words of praise coming off of our mouth to our Savior regularly, not just on Sundays, fruit of sanctification, fruit of life change. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. I can see you growing in this and I can see you changing here. This is the fruit of sanctification. But now that you have been set free and have become slaves of God, the fruit of you, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and at its end is eternal life. You see that? Life transformation gives me the confidence to take another step, to take another step, to take another step because back here I was pronounced saved when I received the gospel of Jesus Christ. But each step of, of transformation along the way is reminding me that my ultimate salvation and place and position with God is coming. You've been saved and you're being saved. That's the complexity of what's happening. And so we examine our hearts for the fruit of the Spirit. We, we, we listen to our own self speak for the words of praise coming off of our lips and we look for transformation in our lives. And that doesn't mean you're not going to struggle because you are. But the fact that you care that you're struggling actually is a fruit, by the way. The fruit of good works, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. I hope these are helpful. The fruit of good works, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Fruit of the Spirit, fruit of our lips, fruit of sanctification, the fruit of good works. Now this, the fruit of lost souls. 
You desire to see people saved. You desire people to be freed like you've been freed. You desire people to be changed like you've been changed. Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, Romans chapter 1, verse 13, that I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest, that I may see some fruit among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And so here we pause, here we stop, and we say, how's your fruit? It's here that the authenticity of our faith is revealed. It's here where the integrity of our foundation is shown. Any cracks in that foundation? Friends, wolves and unbelievers alike can easily hide in the forest of complacency. Unbelievers and even wolves can hide in the forest of casual complacency. But hear this. Our hearts are truly exposed. In authenticity when we question the integrity of our foundations. And so we lovingly inspect, we lovingly ask, we lovingly pray for one another, we lovingly come alongside so that we can have this confidence that is among us. But listen, our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in teachers, but it's in the gospel truth. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. And so here we examine, lest 19 and 20 be true of us, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire Thus, Jesus says, you've got to recognize one another. You've got to recognize the security and the foundation of your faith in the fruits, in the fruits, in the fruits of your salvation. And so this step one in the examination process is, okay, pastor, you're saying I got I to gotta make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm testing out the integrity of the truth. Okay, so check. Like I know the gospel, right? Like I can recite the gospel, so I'm good, right? Like I know Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life, died a painful death, went to the cross, went to the grave, raised three days later, right? He's ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. Like, I, I, I know that's true. I'm good, right? And as, as you were going through the fruits, like, I know I didn't have all of them, but I was so much better than the, the, the person two rows up because I've seen him at work, Right? So like I know the gospel and I'm doing my best. Am I good? One of the dangers here in the mix of this kind of evaluation is that we really are tempted to check the box and move very quickly and say, I, I, I know this and I'm doing this, therefore I'm good. And almost in anticipation of that actual reality and that temptation and that question, Jesus actually moves on and addresses it. I prayed the prayer, I'm good, right? I'm doing the deal and I'm coming to church, I'm good, right?
these next couple of the verses, I think, are some of the hardest in your entire Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, they they are the ones who are saved. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And even then will I declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Come on, church, now is not a good time to zone out. Bear up and lean in. According to this text, there are probably those among us even now These verses are avoided. These verses are oftentimes skipped by. These verses are difficult to address, but they must be addressed. Here we need to speak through, examine and talk through these verses. They're unsettling. They're scary. But the reality is we need to understand them because they explain a lot. Because we avoid these verses, oftentimes we find ourselves confused. Because we avoid these verses, we say, Lord, what in the world are you doing when your people act this way? Oh, wait. We got to press in and we got to lean into what it is the Lord is saying. And what, he, what he's making abundantly clear is it is possible to give God lip service. It's, it's possible to say all the right things. It's possible to go about your life with behavioral modification. It's about, it's a, it, it is possible for us, once we found a place to belong, to continue doing all the things that enables you to feel like you belong. And your spiritual life is dry because you just continue to do that, whatever brings the next that a boy or way to go girl within your spiritual life. But it's like you're pouring, it's like you're pouring all of this effort into a bottomless bucket. It's like you're building a spiritual house on a foundation that hasn't been secured. And so here we have to pause and ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying and what does it mean for me? What Jesus is asking for here is full life surrender, not lip service, but full life surrender. Not merely, not merely, not merely a confession, but verse 21, the surrendering of our entire lives to his will. Not every one of you says to me, Lord, Lord, we'll enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, that's the one whose foundation is sure.
I think what we need to be clear about here is Jesus, what he's emphasizing is the evidence that we are surrendered to God's will, though, is not measured in piety. It's not measured in grandeur. It's not measured in, hey, look at me. It's not measured in megalomania. It's not measured in grand, miraculous feats and signs, nor large crowds, nor in the affirmations that you receive from others. Jesus is saying the foundation of our faith is not measured in the spectacular. The the foundation of our faith is not measured in the spectacular. If you're basing the security of your salvation on a spectacular scene, you must come back to the integrity of the gospel itself that saves you. Indeed, God used miracles all throughout the first century to gain people's attention, but to gain their attention to what? To Jesus, to the truth that saves. And so our foundation of faith is not measured in the spectacular, not in prophecy, he says, not in exorcisms, not in miraculous works, but here, come on, this ought to encourage you, in the simple security found in surrender. Friends, this ought to bring us comfort. God's not looking for the spectacular out of you. He's looking for the surrender in you. He's calling you over and over and over to this, the simple security that is found in surrender and you're striving and you're striving and you're striving and you're striving and you're building and you're hammering and you're nailing and you're securing shingles upon a house which you have yet to secure the foundation. Friends, this should comfort us. Why? Because Jesus is not calling you to performance, but to relationship. We live in a very religious county. There's some of you that like, you're pretty close to like perfect attendance to church growing up, right? Like that's in there. Jesus is not calling into performance, but to relationship. Not not to be about attention-seeking, but affection-giving to him. He wants your heart. And again, here, this can become confusing, if not frustrating, and if not infuriating. Because, Pastor, I hear you every week say to people, this is the gospel, accept the gospel, like pray this prayer, come on, he's going to work in your life. And you're like, now, like what? It's not the words that we say. It's not the actions that we perform. And so if it's not merely the prayer, if it's not merely the words, if it's not merely the measurement of tangible physiological fruit, if you will, then what in the world is it? How do I know my salvation is firm? Now this. We find the firmness and the integrity of our foundation in the security of our salvation in Full surrender, saying words and doing works 
fully to the glory of God. If that sounds semantics to you, let me say it again. It's not merely words and merely works. It is words that you believe. And the evidence then that you believe are these works that the Lord empowers you to perform for his glory and not for our own. And now you have to ask this, well, how in the world does that work? Jesus says this, the confidence of our confession here in point two, the confidence of our confession is found in the eternal assurance of abiding in Jesus. Not religion, relationship. Not piety and religiosity, but in the person. It's in your relationship, your day-to-day abiding with Jesus. You're like, what in the world? Here we go. Like another church word. Like we are talking about my whole eternity here. And you're saying my eternity is based on abiding in Jesus. And I don't even know what that word means. You abide in your home, right? You live in your home, right? Let's go with that. You live in Jesus. You live for Jesus. Like you're sold out for Jesus. Like it's Jesus first then. It's like Jesus first then my own life. Because without him I have no life. It's Jesus first then my fam. Because without him I have no fam. It's Jesus first then my job. Because without Jesus, I have no job. It's Jesus first, then my, then, then my game at one o'clock today, right? Because there is the, without Jesus, who cares? What does it mean to abide? We live in Jesus. We live for Jesus. We, we love Jesus. We find, we get, we get it all from Jesus. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is that vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Sound familiar? Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You are saved because you received the gospel of truth. But now this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, the, fr- the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Catch it? That's how you know you're saved. Whoever abides in me and I in him, verse 5, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and then they'll be burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, check it, by this your father is glorified. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be disciples. What does it mean to abide? It means that you're loved. It means that you're sent. It means that you know all of this is for the glory of God. Sound familiar? For the one who loves Jesus, those who love Jesus, those who rely on Jesus, those who live in Jesus, those who are in full relationship with Jesus, people shouldn't wonder if you're a Christian.
People shouldn't find out accidentally that you love Jesus. Like, let's just normalize loving Jesus, church. You gotta fight nobody to do that. You love him. Like, out loud. Like, fruit of your lips. And still we ask, though, moving on, and still we ask, how can we be sure that we're abiding? I'm trying to, I'm trying to move along with you here because I'm with you. I already pray this prayer, but, 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 but wait. And then it's pray this prayer, bear this fruit, but, 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 but wait. Now it's pray this prayer, bear this fruit, and abide. But wait. We're like step three in the examination process. You got it? The prayer is important. Yes. The belief is crucial. Yes. The bearing of fruit is evidence. Yes. The abiding is integral and there is no salvation without it for sure. But how in the world am I certain that I am actually abiding? Come on now. See point three. Jesus now moves to the point of it all and he says this. Let me read it again. Everyone now, listen, I hear your questions. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Listen, And this will be your evidence. And when the rain falls and the flood comes and the winds blow and they beat on that house, it will not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. But now here's the negative side of the test. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, they will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And you see, for this guy, for this gal, for this kiddo, when the rain comes upon them, when the flood waters rise up and when the the winds blow, When the huffing and puffing of the evil one comes upon, what's going to happen? The house is going to fall. And great the fall will be. How do you know? How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that your foundation is secure? Friends, here's the deal. God's grace unto you is the very thing you don't want. It's the very thing that most communicators of God's word are trying to help you avoid. It's the exact opposite of the promise. If you follow Jesus, your life's going to get a lot better. It's the exact opposite of say this prayer, do these things, and go on about your merry life and do whatever it is you want. It's the exact opposite of that. What is Jesus saying? You will know you're saved because it's not an if, it's a when. The storms of life are going to come, and when they come, it is God's grace to you. The storms are a grace. The storm that you're under right now is a grace because as the winds blow, as the flood waters rise, as you are tested and as you are tempted and you can only rely on Jesus, it's there that you realize this thing is real. (laughs) 
How do we know our foundation is sure? Because God, Jesus Christ himself, will help you stand firm in the storm. Let, let the tides rise. When the rain and the trials come, when the, the floodwaters of opposition rush in, when the winds of the world ridicule you and they seek to push you down, when you stand the test of trial, you'll know. When you endure through the fire of hardship and calamity, when you repent again and again and again, when you repent again and again in the fire of sin that continues to blaze inside of you, you'll be reminded with every confession of your repentance of sin. That's a fruit of your salvation. But you're like, I'm not getting over it. I know you're a sinner. Keep repenting. For it's in the moment that you give up. It's the moment when you said, I'm done repenting. It's the moment when you're like, this is not worth it anymore. That's when your foundation is actually exposed. What do you do then? Fall on your knees. Friends, this is why the Bible says, hear me clearly, that we can count it all joy, brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds. It's a grace. Your trials are a grace. My goodness, your hardship is a grace. And knowing the burden that some of you, that you, of you knowing the burden that some of you carry, It's hard to say, but this is what God says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you will know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness when the trial comes. Come on, when the trial comes, that's the examination of your core sample. It was submitted. It was submitted when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the trial is merely the laboratory revealing unto you that the consistency of your faith meets because it wasn't about you in the beginning. It's about Jesus all along. And let the steadfastness, the verse goes on, to have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and ultimately you'll be lacking in nothing for the fruit of sanctification will be yours. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, hear this, church. In this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this we rejoice, though now for a little while. Paul's saying, look, we rejoice. From an earthly sense, we would pray that it's only going to be a short stint here, but even the intensity of this particular moment and trial that you're under, listen, listen, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire that you may be found may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ God never wastes an experience every trial you've ever endured has a purpose Your feelings are a thermostat, not are a thermometer, not a thermostat. Your feelings are a thermometer, not a thermostat. Your feelings tell you 
what's happening in your heart. What are they saying now? Your feelings right now are telling you something about your heart. The trial that you're facing is for your proving, not for your failing. God has brought it to you to assure you that you are his. God has brought it to you. He's allowed it to occur so you would rest fully in him, in him, and in him alone. And it hurts, and it hurts. And the wound hurts. But this is where the crux comes. This is the intersection. This is the narrow versus the wide way. This is this moment. This is the spot. This is why the apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter two. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed and so now, not only as in my presence, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't trust the pastor on this. Look at your own heart. The security of your salvation comes from your relationship with Jesus. Just be honest about where it is. The security of your salvation was in the integrity of you bowing before the Lord and saying, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Lord, come on. If when you first prayed, you did it just to get out of hell, Pray again because your eyes have been opened even more because you want to be saved because you love Jesus now. I'm not beating on that last prayer. All I'm saying is if that was your reason, like the gospel's richer than that. You're not just saved from something, you're saved for something. You're not just saved from fire and and destruction, you're saved for the glory of God. You're saved because he has a purpose for your life. Like you're saved because he wants to use you. You're saved because he wants to assure you. You're saved because he wants to, he desires a relationship with you in eternity past before the foundations of the earth. He wrote your name down in the Lamb's book of life that you would have a relationship with him. Would you please do inventory on that and not squander the access you have to the risen king? And so what? As we're examining our foundation, we don't rely on a teacher, we rely on Jesus. We don't rely merely on the prayer of a past, we rely on the fruit of the present. We don't base it on our performance, but on the daily presence we seek in Jesus. The moment-by-moment presence we seek in Jesus. We rely on the words of Jesus. We abide in Jesus. The storms. The calls you get that you never thought you would. The kids that do the things you never thought they would do. The word that was spoken to you that you It was the last thing you wanted to hear. When the storm comes, what do we do? When the betrayal comes, what do we do? When the lies flow, what do we do? We examine the fruit. You see, if in the middle of your trial, you're still portraying love and joy, 
There ought not be, but there's still a peace that passes all understanding. You're still finding a way to be kind, even in your frustration. That's Jesus. Fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. Fruit. It's when all goes wrong that you're still able to sing the praises of Jesus off your lips. That's fruit. When it's not going the way that you thought it should go, and you're still looking to him and singing praise, that's the fruit that we're looking for. When you realize that you're being transformed in the trial, that's the fruit that we're looking for. When you realize that that, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when we realize that when the difficult thing occurred, the very comfort that was given to me was given to me under the Father that I may use it to comfort others, that's the fruit that we're looking for. This is the foundation. This is the fruit, the fruit that you desire for others to experience what it is you have in Jesus. And so right now, friends, I want to do this. Let us, let us bow our heads. We don't do this often here, but perhaps we should do it more. How's your foundation? Friend, now is the time for you to do business with the Lord. Now is the time for you to once again examine the fruit of your life, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of our lips, fruit of sanctification, fruit of good works, fruit that desires to see others to come find Jesus. The trial that you're facing is a gift from the Lord. Right now, if you're going through a trial that has rattled you, right now, if you're going through a trial that is causing you to need to draw close to Jesus, and that in many ways is a revealing the integrity of your faith. Would you stand where you are? I want to pray for you. If you're going through a trial right now, a heavy burden that you're carrying, and you need to be reminded that this trial has been given to you for the proving of your faith, not for the exposing of your weakness and doubt, would you stand? I just want to pray for you. God's using this in your life. God is strengthening you. God is building you. God is transforming you into the image of his son. God is using you as a beacon, as an adorning witness, as a guiding light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, right now. 
The people who know about your circumstances have their eyes on you and they're watching. And they're, we're going to pray that they're going to see a provenness in you. God, I want to pray right now for those whom you've graced with the opportunity of a hardship and a trial. Father, we don't wish for this. We don't ask for this. We don't long for this, but we recognize it for what it is today. God, would you help? Would you help each one, each member of our family here standing to count it all joy, even in the midst of this difficult circumstance that they're going through? Father, would you test their faith and would you allow it to produce a steadfastness one that it perfects them and completes them so that they're lacking in nothing. Oh God, please. Oh God, in this, would you help them to rejoice that in the testing, their genuineness would be revealed to all. Oh God, please. May it be found in them that this would result with praise off of their lips for the glory and the honor and the revelation of your name, your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, would you uphold them? Holy Spirit, would you fill them? We pray today.